Welcome to the Social Seek Experience, everyone. My name is Piram Singh. And in today's episode, we have uh, Saib Norkor. She's currently a rising second year at Midwestern University in Illinois. Um, so Saib Nur, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, definitely. And I think we've talked about this in the last two episodes. Um, that is essentially the sick greeting that uh, we give to one another. And Saib Nur, so to kind of start off with, Saib Nur was born in India and raised in Illinois. So our first question is, how was your experience growing up as a Sikh in that part of the world? So, um, yeah, Illinois, as if I assume most people don't know this, but Illinois is in the Midwest um, and the Midwest is very predominantly white. Um, there's obviously certain areas that aren't, but where I grew up, which was Lake Zurich, Illinois, was a very white suburb. Um, there were probably like four or five Indians maybe in, in our like high school. Um, and even fewer, I don't think there were any six actually. So, um, and that was from day one pretty much growing up. So it was definitely a very isolating experience, I would say. Um, but at the same time, it definitely built my confidence um, in my own skin and in my, in my religion because, you know, I was kind of forced to, like, I was forced to become comfortable with who I am and, you know, stand up for myself because I looked different and I acted different and I had different beliefs. So, um, it was definitely a tough experience, but it made me a much stronger person for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't, I, I wasn't born in an all white, predominantly white area. So I don't know your experience that well, but um, so, you know, you said it was a very predominantly white area in, in this part of the country. Um, so what were some of the challenges being one of the only few sick families um, in this predominantly white area? I think that a lot of the challenges just were related to feeling isolated um, because there weren't even a lot of six, like even outside of academics, like outside of school, there's not a lot of six. Now there's more, obviously the community's growing. Now there's turban wearing, you know, kids that are growing up here, like my brother's age and a little bit older, um, all younger than me, of course. And, but at my time, it was just me, um, both in the six sangha, like at Gordora, I was the only turban wearing kid. And at school, I was the only turban wearing kid. So I was kind of just always the odd one out. Um, and obviously like my family is, is also Gorsik. So they all wear turbans as well. So that was the one place that I belonged essentially. But I think one of the biggest challenges for me was I always craved like a place where I could see other people like me that were my age, like seeing other kids, seeing people more than just my family that looked like me, that talked like me, that, you know, had the same interest in Sikhism and Sikhi as I did. Um, and so I, and I honestly <laughs> did not get that here. It wasn't until I started traveling, um, you know, around the country, especially, you know, throughout Canada. Um, that's when I saw, oh my gosh, there are people that look like me in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like I belonged for the first time. And that was, yeah, that was I, a relief, honestly. Yeah. I definitely feel you. The biggest challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely feel on that part because when, even when I was growing up, like, there would be Punjabi kids, right? There would be those brown kids around, but finding someone, I think I think one thing that was huge was like being successful in America, mm -hmm. right? Being successful in America and something that you like to do or aspire to do was very hard, right? And obviously, as you said before, like it's growing, it's expanding a lot um, in the in the past like 10 years, right? Mm -hmm. We have people like Rubir Gadewal, who's like the freaking AG of New Jersey, right? Yeah. And we, we're seeing that, that uh, I would say the external identity of a Sikh being uh used in a positive light yeah, um yeah 
Yeah, and I mean, even with the recent, you know, um, events that happened in San Jose with the Dejdeep saying like that yeah. was, you know, that brought Siki into such a positive light. And I think just growing up, people just didn't know. Like they didn't know who six were. Now people know. Like I've had people ask me like at school or like at clinics and stuff, oh, are you sick or are you Sikh? And it's so refreshing to like hear them say that because I didn't grow up with that. And now it's I can see people changing. I can see people becoming more accepting of different, you know, faiths yeah. and, and races. And I think that's just, I think that's kind of, that's fallen into, or I would say that's kind of rooted from one, I think the Asian hate that's been going around, the spike of that. Mm -hmm. And I think the pandemic and alone has, I think, changed our perceptive on a, like perspective on a lot of things, not just racism and just, mm -hmm. I think it's how we function as a society. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so kind of moving on with your experience growing up in America. So, you know, being one of the few Sikh families in this area, were you able to educate your non-Sikh counterparts on your values and beliefs? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I So initially it was just my parents um, that did the education because I was too young. But um, since I can remember probably somewhere early in elementary school, my parents would go, they would talk to the teachers and get approval and go to my school essentially and just present about Sikhi to my entire class, like all the classes in you know, second grade, third grade, whatever. Um, and they would talk about Sikhi, you know, the, the Panjgagars and everything, um, you know, the 10 gurus, everything that we believe in. And then they would open my, my, the sad, my turban, and they would show my hair, my case, and they would retie it and basically say, hey, look, this, <laughs> that's all it is. It's hair underneath there, you know? Um, and it was kind of like this big, like, I don't know, aura of judgment kind of just lifted off of everyone. Yeah. And every single time they did that because we moved around a lot when i was a kid so they had to do this multiple times but um every time they did that i could feel the the difference in people's attitudes in the yeah. teachers attitudes and the students attitudes um, because people just didn't know right and after this <laughs> they knew um so that was a big thing that my parents did when i was young and then as i got older a lot of it was just kind of um you know educating friends um you know hey i don't eat out i don't you know eat from like I, I'm not gonna I don't eat meat you know I don't eat eggs all of that kind of yeah. stuff and the the one I guess nice thing about <laughs> growing up in a predominantly white area is you know Punjabi people can become very judgmental um, especially if they're not very religious they can they can give you a lot of crap for your beliefs yeah. um, but not always but from what I've experienced a lot of white people can kind of they kind of just accept you for who you are and that's how they are in general too right that's how they are with each other and so they accepted me they accepted they were like oh you know um i touched this like with hands that i had touched meat with like don't you know yeah i'm just letting you know so like people were very very accepting about that um and i think that kind of helped me grow my confidence in my own skin is like people not judging me for my beliefs instead they would actually accept it and um, respect me for it actually if anything and you know then I went to college and um, I had Indian roommates but or a, an Indian roommate and lots of Indian friends um, and I educated them similarly about it you know I don't eat out I don't eat this that blah 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 yeah. um, you know we don't cut our hair all of these different things um, we don't drink and they never asked a question a single question about it like why or anything it was just yeah. that that's how Sagnor is and we fully accept that yeah, and I think like even me, like I've, you know, I have, I'm from the Bay Area, so there's like a lot of brown kids, there's a lot mm -hmm. of Desi kids, and the thing is, I never fit in with some of the like sick crowds in Fremont, per se, and I just fit in with the kids that I met at DECA competitions, or the, the mm -hmm. kids I met through like school, 
And whenever we like hang out and I have to like explain things, I think one, they have a better, um, I, I think they accept me for that way, like for who mm -hmm. I am. And I think it's just that, um, that there's essentially there's this barrier that I think a lot of us have to go through, right? Yeah. And once that barrier is lifted, I think we unify with each other, right? There's, there's yeah. this, this common struggle that we, try, we find in one another and we become right. more of friends, right? right? Um, mm -hmm. And I think, I think that's like the biggest thing that we have to deal with um, when we go through our careers, right? Um, when we go through the, you know, the academics and things like that. So let's, let's move into that direction. Um, so, you know, I think when we were talking, I think the three biggest like academic milestones I found with you was there's a high school, there's undergrad, and now you're in med school, right? So you're a rising second year at Midwestern. Um, so what were some of the, so essentially first, how did you get to where you are? And the second question is what challenges did you face in those three academic milestones? Sure. So um, my med school journey wasn't, you know, too crazy. A lot of people have a lot that they have to go through to get here. <laughs> Mine was honestly fairly easy to be, to be fair. Um, so yeah, um, in America and in Canada, after uh, high school, you do four years of college. So I did three years of college. I actually graduated a year early. I majored in neurobiology and got a certificate in global health from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Graduated in May 2019. Um, and then I took a gap year, um, which is actually becoming quite common now. And so I just worked as a medical scribe um, for an oncologist throughout my gap year. Loved that experience, learned a ton, made some money, took a well-needed break <laughs> from <laughs> academics. Um, yeah. I, I think everyone should take gap years. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then I applied to med school at the same time. So like pretty much all of 2019, I was working on applications and then interviews, all that. And then it, pretty much the process takes an entire year. So I didn't start med school then. Um, you know, I got a couple interviews, um, got in a couple of places and then decided to stay close to home um, and, you know, stay in Chicago. So um, yeah, I started at Midwestern in August of 2020. Um, and then, yeah, so now we're, you know. <laughs> you know, we're here now, we're in the pandemic. So. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, I think let's start from the beginning there, right? Um, essentially, like, what, was there an experience in like high school that really led you to go to the pre-med route? Um, and were there, and did you find any obstacles with, did you find any like experiences or shared experiences that made you go, hey, I really want to do pre-med, what are the next steps, right? Um, so I, I think I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I'm one of those kids. Um, so it was always just there in my mind. Um, and I, when I went to high school, I took, you know, AP classes. So I took like AP Chem and AP Bio um, AP Calc, all those. And, um, I wasn't a huge fan of AP Bio. <laughs> they just didn't teach us any human biology. <laughs> like, what's the point of this? <laughs> um, but we, I, anatomy, I actually took my sophomore year of high school. So that was like my first, I guess, official like intro to like real human stuff. Yeah. And I loved it. Like I, that was probably, not probably for sure. My favorite class, all of high school. That was my first exposure and through that class we actually got like we made connections through that and also like the medical sciences club i think it was called in high school um where we had like speakers come in that were like in med school or like were doctors or something um and they were like alumni of you know the high school and that kind of just further like intensified my interest um 
especially just through anatomy and like doing dissections. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, you know, like sheep hearts or whatever. I'm sheep brains. Or something. There's a picture of me holding a sheep brain from high school. Um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was like my first, I would say, exposure. And then, you know, I knew that was what I was going to do. So I just took more classes related to that. Um, I did some volunteering in a hospital um, a couple, for a couple years of high school. And then I actually worked as a pharmacy tech my like last couple months of high school, <laughs> senior year. Um, I'm not sure why I did it, honestly, in retrospect, but I guess it was a cool experience. It's really, I, I worked at Walgreens. Um, it's pretty intense, but I learned a lot. I knew okay. I, did, I learned I didn't want to do pharmacy. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. That was good. Um, okay. So I, you know, so that was probably high school. And then, yeah, college was just, I knew I was going to be pre-med. So okay. I just kind of did so, all the pre-med classes and went for it, you know. Yeah. So from, from what it hears, like from, you know, what you're saying, it's like you took all these classes and you had all these experiences, right? Mm -hmm. That like led you to do something, right? And I, I think like you can, I think for like, any high schoolers like listening to this, I think even for me, it was it was about those experiences that I had in high school mm -hmm. that really led me to do this business degree I'm on, this business track that I'm on, that's doing tech, tech, tech and business. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like through DECA and things like that. And I think like not, I mean, I think for certain majors and for certain pathways, you need to take the proper classes like law and like med mm -hmm. are two great examples, right? And I think, yeah. Um, I think one other thing is don't always hold yourself accountable to your grades because the grades don't make you right okay. they don't they don't they don't make or break you they're just something you have to get through mm -hmm. and I think the real thing that really lights up a purpose of your career is through your experiences that you make mm -hmm. outside of the classroom right? and I think for you for you it was um, it was those experiences like working in the pharmacy or you know working at the hospital and things like that I, I forgot to mention shadowing, actually. Um, oh, shadowing. That was a big part of it, yeah. I shadowed a doctor, a sick doctor, actually. He was an internist okay. um, at a local community hospital. Um, shadowed him for like a month, like every day for a month, which is like people don't typically yeah. let you do that. So if you know, if you have a connection for any pre-med high schoolers out there or yeah. college students, um, that was really impactful. Um, I just, I learned a ton and he was an amazing teacher. So I think that was like, that was my first exposure to like real life medicine. Mm -hmm. I think shadowing is at the end of the day, it's just one line on your CV, but um, it's a really meaningful experience in that you actually get to see the real life of a yeah. doctor. And like some people do it yeah. and they're like, oh my gosh, I hate this. Or like, yeah. wow, surgery sucks. I had someone tell me that like neurosurgeons are the most boring people. Like all the other types <laughs> of surgeons are like, listen to music in the OR and they have fun during surgery. And the neurosurgeons, which are brain surgeons, are just like not talking, not listening to music. They're just like robots. <laughs> Sorry if there's any neurosurgeons listening, but yeah. I just thought that was, um, it's, it's just a, like an accurate way to like kind of gauge your interest, I guess I would say. Yeah. And that was important for me yeah, as well. Definitely. Definitely. Um, okay. So I think moving on so from, you know, from high school, you had all these experiences. You took classes like anatomy, biology, and this is what really led you to go to the pre-med route at UW. Um, now, when you're going, so when you're doing that transfer from undergrad to grad school, I think one thing that I have noticed through these interviews, these podcasts that I've done with all the previous guests and everyone, um, it's about your grades, people stress about your grades. Um, and, you know, there's not like a balance, you can't have that like work-life balance in undergrad. So 
explain the hardships of keeping your grades up in undergrad and and contextualizing, and contextualizing the idea that grades are not everything and then how like mental health could play into that. Mental health is my favorite thing, so I'm just going to talk about that. But okay. <laughs> um, yeah, grades are, and it's, I think a lot of it is, it stems from us being Indian and like just the Asian community yeah. and this ingrained, like it's, I honestly think it's like part of our genes at this point, but um, <laughs> this like overachieving mindset and this, you know, if I don't get good grades, like I'm the, my life is over or like, you know, and our parents like very much like facilitate that, those beliefs, um, which is very toxic. And I think we don't realize it growing up. Um, but at some point, I think I realized it at some point in high school, but then I didn't actually like genuinely believe it until college where I like failed my first gen chem exam. And I thought like, I took like advanced gen chem because I was like, oh yeah, I've taken AP chem, I'll be fine, it'll be great. And then it wasn't great, it was horrible. Um, like I studied a ton yeah. and I just complete. I got like a, a 37% or something oh, on my first gen chem exam. And I mean, the average was really low, but I was still below average. Yeah. Um, and then I like still failed the second exam, um, <laughs> got like a 57. And then somehow, and I, but I was like determined and I, you know, I remember breaking down on the first, after the first exam thinking like, that's it. I can't be a doctor. I'm not going to go to med school. Like this, it's all over. Yeah. Like my dreams are just crushed. Yeah. And like in retrospect, it was so dramatic to think that way, but that's honestly, it's like a conditioned response for us is like yeah. losing it when we don't do well on something. Right. Cause we set our expectations mm -hmm. to be so high. Um, and so I had to like, I talked to a bunch of friends and, and my parents and like, everyone was like, it's okay. Like, this is your first exam of college and college is completely different from high school. Um, you know, there's straight A kids in high school that go to college and get a B and they just think yeah. their life is over, you know? Um, so it took me a lot to like kind of dig myself out of that and realize that it was just one exam. It was yeah. first year of college. You're not expected to magically know everything. Um, so I studied more and I slowly brought my grades up. I think I got like an 80 something on the third exam in the final and I ended up with a B plus I think or B in the class so that's honestly that that's, <laughs> it, it's it's honestly not that bad and I think yeah. like and I think like I think it, it as you said before it just stems from us ha having that like that Asian like parental pressure in a way right right and, and that we, just, we, we like internalize that and put that pressure on ourselves as well and we don't yeah it. definitely definitely um, but yeah so that was probably like <laughs> hardest part of college at the beginning and then I think that I set my bar low after that because I realized that college is hard and I was just gonna like give myself yeah. grace for not doing well in the future um, so I remember I took OCHEM organic chemistry for whatever reason decided to take it my second semester of freshman year of college <laughs> okay <laughs> don't do that <laughs> like to anyone out there just don't do that um, but I did it and uh, I again, or no, I actually got like an 87 or 88 or something on the first exam. Okay. Thought I was like going to do great, everything's going to be fine. And yeah. then I completely bombed the second exam. And the thing was, though, was we had fewer grades in that class, fewer points. So your okay. four exams were your entire grade, pretty much. If you oh. bombed one exam, you were done. I've been so in that I class. Was, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. so I was automatically going to get a C, and I was not okay with that. And I honestly, like, <laughs> tortured myself about it for like a week I had a week the drop deadline was in a week so I had a week to decide yeah. um, if I wanted to withdraw or if I wanted to continue and get a C 
So I met with all these advisors, so many different people, ignored another class, ended up failing that exam because I completely ignored that class, stressing about this, the whole thing. Ended up withdrawing, <laughs> got into med school. <laughs> so I, you know, so I always, I, these are just like a couple of my personal stories that just go to show that your grades will not define you. They do not define you and they will not define you. And that's just something that you have to kind of remind yourself every so often. Yeah. Um, and I, cause I actually ended up getting like a C and a BC. We had BCs instead of B minuses and C pluses okay. in physics. Physics is not my strong suit. Um, and <laughs> you know, and my, so it hurt, obviously hurt my GPA, but I always tell people like I made it to med school. Um, and despite not having the best grades in the world, I was not a straight A student. I was not, I didn't have the perfect MCAT score. Um, which is the entrance exam for med school. And, you know, I, I still made it to med school. So I think, and that, that goes to, goes for anything really. I mean, med school is one of the most competitive, you know, versions of grad school. I don't know what to call it. Um, you know, fields out there. And if my grades didn't define me for that and didn't take away my chances of doing that, um, that won't be the, it, you know, it, it won't be the determining factor for any other field as well. For sure. Um, so I think well, let's I think let's head into the direction of. So undergrad, you had all these experiences, and you've and you know from what you said, you weren't the straight A student. You weren't the best one who was best at testing, but you told yourself and you gave yourself this. I would say like a mental framework, in a way, to tell yourself that it's okay if I if I screw up, just keep on going to the next the next day, go day by day. I would say, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, um, absolutely. So and I think, um, sorry to interrupt, but um, just to kind of close the loop there, like, yes, your grades don't define you, but there are so many other ways to make yourself shine, um, yeah. especially like for, so for med school, for example, right? Like I did research, I did clinical research, I did tons and tons of volunteering, community service, right? Like there's so many other ways to make yourself stand out. Um, and I... I always say like that's the reason I got into med school. It wasn't my grades or my MCAT. It was all my other activities, especially my community service. Um, they love to see that, and because like they don't just want a robot, right? Any any field really, they don't just want a robot who can crunch the numbers and you know do everything right. They want a real person who cares about other people. And um, if you can show that in your application or whatever you know, whatever you're doing, like you'll be fine, you know, and your grades won't define you. Like I yeah. Said. And I think I think that that goes not only for like med fields, it goes for like basically every other field. Yeah, if absolutely. you think about it. Right. And yeah. um, they're not looking for like if you're in the coding world and I code, they're not looking for the person who codes every single day. They want you to be able to like, you know, be able to talk to people, be able to tell people here's what you need to do and things like mm -hmm. that. Right. And yeah. being able to collaborate. Um, right. But yeah. So that was I think that was an amazing explanation about you know your journey so now let's move into like the present so you know you took your first year of med school online how was that experience <laughs> taking med school online for the first year so coming right out of my spring quarter which was I would say probably my hardest quarter um med school itself is a beast um people told me that getting into med school was the hardest part I hate to say this, but I don't agree with that. Maybe I will in a couple of years. I think people kind of forget forget the struggles. Um, <clears throat> the med school is hard as it is. Um, it depends, you know, some med schools are pass fail. So the pressure is much less, but we had grades, A, B, C, D, F grades. Um, 
and that put a lot of pressure on us. Um, and so I, you know, and the sheer amount of information that is thrown at you is so overwhelming. Um, you're literally studying all the time. I didn't think I was actually going to be studying all the time. I, I think I kind of set my expectations too low. Um, and I was taken by surprise because I was constantly studying weekends, evenings, nights, everything really. Um, and so that itself is tough. And then if you add into all of that online med school, which there were some pros, um, you know, we had online exams and I think it was, it was honestly nice to just, you know, like get out of bed and just take an exam or like you know, in the morning or like yeah. be home and not have to drive all the way to campus. I commute to campus 35 minutes away each way. Oh, so it was, that was nice. Um, but there were a lot of cons as well. Right. And I think yeah. the biggest thing was the social aspect, which obviously everyone has been affected by the pandemic in yeah. some way or another socially. Um, <clears throat> and so our biggest thing was just, we didn't know our classmates. <laughs> um, yeah. I, you know, there's some people I've met in the past couple of months, um, at different things on campus. It's like, Oh my gosh, I've known you this entire year through our like group me, but now I actually know you by face. <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was probably, I think the toughest thing was, med school is very isolating as it is and then add into that like not knowing anyone and not having because in med school you like need that community of other people who know what you're going through because only yeah. med students know and we didn't have that so i think that that really hurt us um and i think it's it you know second year is going to be better we're going to be on campus more um so we're all expecting to kind of <laughs> undo the damage <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah at least yeah socially um but yeah, I mean, and, and it was, it was okay. Like being able to just be at home and watch lectures. We had like live streamed lectures. That was nice to just sit in the comfort of your home and like yeah. eat food while you're, you know, <laughs> instead yeah. of going to the lecture. Um, so obviously there were pros and cons and, you know, we don't know any of our professors very well. That was one of the cons. Um, so it was, it was, I kind of have mixed feelings about it. Yeah. Um, but I think definitely by the end, we were all very, very, very burnt out just from, yeah med school itself but then online learning for an entire year yeah. we were all exhausted and we just like it's terrible by man. spring quarter we were like we can't i have no <laughs> i have nothing left to give and that's how it felt you know i was like i have no yeah. motivation no energy no interest it was all gone yep. and the only thing that was keeping me going was my like little countdown until summer <laughs> on, my, on my whiteboard in my room <laughs> so, yeah um, i feel that it, we all you know would like share memes in our group me and like that was our like little bonding <laughs> that was the closest thing that we had bonding so um it was it was an interesting experience to say the least um but you know we got through it and i think yeah. that it built a lot of resilience um and we're definitely like excited to get to know our classmates better. Um, and you know, we're, we're, we know things will be better thanks to vaccines and everything yeah. next year. So, um, we're just, we're excited to like kind of have a more normal med school experience. I, I, I think it's just also, I think it's important to mention that even though that at least the United States, um, we're, we're, it's, it's going to some, there's like some light at the end of the turn, like tunnel there. Mm -hmm. Um, but there are other countries like India is in a terrible right. crisis right now. Absolutely. Um, I think we just need to acknowledge that because yes. even though we can still like, we can start to do things, right. There's still a lot of other messy crap that's going on. Yeah. yeah um, absolutely. but yeah, so, <clears throat> and I, and so I think throughout our conversation here, um, mental health has been a big thing. Um, right. 
And I think also the generational difference between our parents' generation and us, and us sick Americans going into the light and you know, telling their stories through our careers and through our career pathways. Um, so basically there are essentially two huge factors when it comes to sick Americans, Canadians, any sick um, kids pursuing a career in essentially everything. Um, what sorts of tips and tricks do you have to overcoming these obstacles um, when it comes to mental health and basically um, having difficult conversations with our parents? Um, and examples might be like you moving out of the house um, and being on your own and those struggles and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I always say that our generation is, I don't want to say we're screwed over, but we kind of are just being children of immigrants. The generational gap and cultural gap for us is way wider than it was for any previous generations. Yeah. Um, if obviously if we're children of immigrants, um, which I am. So yeah. I'm just going to talk from my perspective, um, which I know a lot of us share. So um, it's really tough. And I, I think that it's hard to see things from a parent's perspective. It's hard for them to see things from our perspective. Um, and when it comes to things like mental health, that's just not even on the radar. It, it never was, right? Never, um, never. I, I remember seeing something about like, the Maslow's like pyramid of or like hierarchy of needs yeah. um and you know <clears throat> excuse me all the way at the bottom is like survival stuff and then all the way at the top is self-actualization which includes like self-esteem and and you yeah. know all of those things and I remember reading somewhere that our parents and the generations before them were at the bottom of that triangle all they could focus on was survival right because they immigrated here some of them didn't have a lot of money. They didn't know anybody. They didn't have jobs. They didn't have a house. Like they had to make everything from scratch. Um, and so to them, it was literally just the survival of my family. Right. And then slowly it became, yes, I want to educate my kids. I want this and that, you know, good cars, good house, all that stuff. But no one ever got the chance to sit down and think about like happiness and am I okay? You know, like, am I, I have all these things, but is there, like am i have i healed from the, all these old traumas we have so much intergenerational trauma that we carry with us um <clears throat> and so it's kind of our um it's almost our job i want to say it it, um, it it shouldn't be it shouldn't have to be but we're almost tasked with the task of healing from all that intergenerational trauma um which isn't fair a lot of the time it's not fair but you know i know like i've talked to friends about this like i don't want to pass this on to my kids someday you know um, all this intergenerational trauma that we inadvertently carry with us. So I think a lot of it, like for me, I, you know, I've been interested in mental health since, and I think people don't realize mental health is a thing until they struggle with it themselves. Right. Yeah. And so I didn't realize until like high school that like mental health is real because nobody talks about it. Nobody in the Indian community, in the Asian community ever talks about mental health, depression, anxiety. If they do, it's like, oh my gosh, like why does so-and-so have depression? Why does so-and-so yeah. have anxiety? Like, they label the person and then they judge them and yeah. or they'll say you know oh so-and-so is so young why do they have to see a therapist and those things just either aren't talked about or if they are it's just so taboo and it's turned into this like i mean the stigma is just very very significant in the yeah. indian community yeah. in the asian community in general so for me it was initially i kind of had to get help on my own um and I honestly didn't really talk to my parents about mental health for a while. Um, it, it took probably a couple of years 
to even bring it up. And my mom's a nurse, so I think that that kind of gave me a little bit of a leg up in terms of like obviously she was aware of mental health issues more so yeah. from like a medical pers- medical perspective than anyone else would be. Um, but still, you know, she grew up with that same mentality of like, you know, something's wrong with you if you have a mental illness. Yeah. So um, I think that it took a lot of just very open, candid conversations um, and a lot of almost teaching or educating, I would say. Um, <clears throat> but from a point of like, not like I know more than you, but like, this is just my experience and it's yeah. different from yours. That doesn't make yours invalid. Right. Cause I know a lot of Indian parents love to say like, Oh, well, what have you seen? Like, what have you struggled with? Right. Like I didn't even yeah. have five bucks in my pocket when I came yeah. to America, stuff like that. Right. But we sure were privileged in that way and that we didn't have to worry about those basic things. Some of us, but we have other struggles that we had to deal with. Right. Yeah. And it's so important. Like, to try it. I emphasize try here. Try and talk to your parents about those if you feel comfortable doing so. But if not, it is okay to... I don't know how to say this without like sounding... It's okay. Know. I think... If, if, <laughs> yeah. like it's, it, it's okay yeah. to go to it. I don't want to say third party, but like it's okay to ask for help yeah, exactly. if you're not getting it at home. Like if you don't have that support at home, you can, you should and you can seek therapy you can go to a school counselor or whoever you know friends family whatever whoever that you trust um that can be there for you like you need to do that everybody needs to do that and if and you can't i don't think you can necessarily expect a lot of indian parents to understand because they won't and it was a really bitter truth for me to to be able to swallow that my parents wouldn't understand my experience but you kind of have to as you as you grow older you kind of realize that you can't change your parents or the way they were raised yeah. <clears throat> and so mm-hmm. you kind of start to accept that over time and then you you know you seek help in other ways and that's completely okay yeah. and sometimes that requires like for me you know i mean part of the reason i moved out was just because um you know college and the neuroscience program <laughs> was better at uw madison than it was in chicago okay. um so that was a big part of the reason i moved um but also just i think that everybody needs to experience life on their own at some point and and like everyone should learn to how to learn how to be independent at Canada um at some point because yeah. there's a lot of hand holding that goes on with Indian parents and oh, that's okay oh. to a certain extent yeah don't get me started on that but yeah <laughs> yeah you know they like spoon feeding hand holding everything right yeah um and it's important to like <clears throat> move out and be like or just live on your own and be like okay I need yeah. to pay my own rent or oh wow I have an electric bill I have to pay yeah. you know or Oh, where do I park my car? You know, how yeah. do I get from this place to this place when it's dark out? Yeah. Those like basic things that you have to learn to be a functional adult. Definitely. I don't think you learn until until you move out. Um, oh, you definitely don't learn. Them. I had <laughs> yeah. I have some stories. We can talk about this later, but I yeah. have a huge stories about these. <laughs> yeah, um, no, me too. Me too. <laughs> um, and so I, you know, that's why I always say like, a lot of people say, you know. And Indian parents are not fans of their kids moving out, obviously. It's just not oh, something people yeah. do. It's, you know, everyone has an issue with it. And, but sometimes you just have to stand up for yourself. And nobody says that, like, move, if you move out, you're going to ruin your relationship with your parents. Or if you move out, you know, you're not going to be able to mend things. And if anything, I feel like I was at a weird point in my life at the end of high school. And I, when I moved out, I actually, my parents and I got closer. Like, our relationship got so much stronger. Okay. Um, and just because like, 
it, you know, it kind of just had to. Like, we didn't see each other as often. Yeah. And we valued each other more. Sometimes that's necessary, right? Yeah. If that's what you're, if that's what you need, like, you can fight for yourself. If you need yeah. help from therapy, if you need, you know, whatever you need for your mental health or your well being, yeah. you can advocate for yourself for it and you need to advocate yeah. for yourself for it. And I think it's important to, like, you know, a lot of, it's important to mention the Sikhi aspect of this because a lot of parents like to go, the whole Sikhi route of, oh, well, you know, why do you have anxiety if you're sick? Why do you, you yeah, know, there's, like, there's that. why do you need to see a therapist? Just read Bonnie, right? Yeah. People love to say that. And that is very valid in some aspects, but you, for some people, they're just not there yet. They are not in a, yeah. in a headspace where they can even, you know, get up at a Mithila or can even yeah. do five minutes of Simran or read one extra Bonnie, like, sometimes yeah. that's just not possible sometimes we're not in that at that point in our in our lives in our jeevans yeah. to be able to do that and that's okay and sometimes you need therapy or whatever it is even medication i'm yeah. all for that um to take you to that next step to even bring you to a, a headspace where you're ready to yeah. read bonnie where you have the motivation and the strength to read bonnie but like bonnie absolutely is an incredible tool for mental health as yeah. well right when I, some of my hardest times in college, <clears throat> at the end of college, um, I was just in a, in a tough place. Um, and I remember just doing, I started doing every single day. And I would do it multiple times a day, actually, sometimes. And it helped me so much with my mental health, my anxiety, just yeah. everything would kind of just calm down. And that, obviously, it didn't yeah. fix all my problems in my life, but it, you know, it helped my mental health significantly. Yeah. And so I always say, like, yes get help through a third party get, go to therapy whatever you feel that you need to do medication whatever it is yeah. but you know if you're if you're a sick like bonnie is an incredible tool right. and you know sometimes you need a little bit of help to get to that point but it's it's just something to kind of keep in mind um and i think that that's some that's a way you can talk to your parents even about mental health is like yes yeah. i'm struggling with this but i'm getting help but i look i'm also reading a little bit of extra bonnie or i'm doing yeah. a every week or something to kind of bring myself to a stronger place to kind of help my own mental health. And that kind of, yeah. I think, removes the taboo a little bit because it adds something that they're familiar with. Yeah, that was well put together. Um, and I think for a lot of us who grew up in a very, like a very sick centric household, that idea was forced upon us, mm -hmm. right? And, and I think what is, I think as I grew up, especially, Keithan and just, being in like in the babaji da kamra or guru's like the guru sa room as we call it yeah. um in our house just mm -hmm. sitting there for like i don't know 10 minutes and doing simran or something like that mm -hmm. would just give us like that mental outlet of just yeah. i need to relax i have so much like shit going on in my head i need to relax <laughs> yeah. right i need that positive those positive vibes That's and nice. um and i think that in play and then that with your like if you're able to integrate that with your career and if you're able to essentially put your life put sikhi first um in your life and then move everything around that mm -hmm. i think that's the best way for success yeah right yeah. and and not only like academic and like career success but also spiritual success mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. um you have mm -hmm. to and I, I think right and we're all on different paths or we're all on like different steps in this spiritual journey of ours but if we're able to essentially contextualize where we are and then move forward from that point we're able to become better human beings yeah all in all, right 
Um, I, re I really like your thing about shaping the rest of your life around Sikhi. I think yeah. that I, definitely in college, I tried to do the opposite. I tried to, yeah. you know, Sikhi was like one of the many things that I had to juggle. Um, and it was just, it wasn't until med school that I, or probably until my gap year that I started, you know, putting Sikhi first. And it made such an impact on my well-being, my grades, like, you know, my relationship with my family, like everything, just my spirituality, of course, as well. Um, so all of those things, I think, I, I absolutely yeah. agree with you. Sikhi, Sikhi yeah. should come first, absolutely. And I think, I think your story is so, I think how you articulate your story is so like, well put together it's better than me how i would say it but um and i think in this time of like pandemic and going like and how you're able to really you're at home you're studying right and things like that and i think your just story in general is like super inspiring and i hope our viewers our listeners my bad um can like learn something from you um so Simon, uh we really i enjoyed having you on the podcast today um and then essentially our last concluding question is how has Sikhi affected your work in a positive or negative way? Um, so to be completely honest, I think it's always been in a positive way. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that sometimes we turn it into a negative thing or our families turn it into a negative, you know, like, yeah. don't do this, don't do that. Like, this is going to happen if you do that. This, the whole like scary thing that they turn it into um, is just, I don't think that's necessary. But anyway, um, yeah, so I think that Sikhi has been it's been my pillar, like my, my faith in Guru Sahib has been my pillar that has gotten me through everything, like every single like tough time in my life. Um, and like I always say, Guru Sahib is always on song, Guru Mera Sang Sada Hai And like whatever you do, if you put Guru Sahib first, if you keep your faith in Guru Sahib at the end of the day, knowing that you're always going to be okay. That was one of my biggest things was at my lowest points was like, when I did a Kedashab or whatever I did was knowing that like no matter what happens, like Vaiguru is always God is always taking care of you and you're going to be okay, like no matter how yeah. hard things are right now. And like yes, like you can have family, you can have friends there for you, whatever, but like as Good Ronnie tells us so many times, like friends are temporary, families from everything else, right? People yeah. are temporary, right? And the only thing that is not, the only thing that's permanent is Vaiguru and is Bonnie, yeah. right? And Nam. And so at the end of the day, like you kind of have to find your, and this is what I did too, is I found my own connection with Sikhi. Cause a lot of times yeah. we grow up and we don't, we're not able to find our own connection. It's kind yeah. of just whatever we've been taught. And yeah. so it took me a while to kind of find my own version of that. Right. Yeah. It was Geethan. And then it became Sajbot eventually. It's still Geethan. It'll always be Geethan, but it took me a while to kind of start making Sajbot a part of my routine. And that had a huge impact on me. It had a huge impact on my grades in med school, on my mental health everything else. Um, and so I would definitely say I, I encourage everyone to kind of find their own yeah. connection with Vaiguru, their own connection with Sikhi, with their faith, and then kind of use that as your your pillar and everything else, right? That will guide yeah. you throughout every single aspect of your life. Yeah, perfect. And I think that was a really good way to end it off on. Um, so do you have any social media you want to shout out um, before we end here or anything else you want, how people can reach you? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, my, my uh, Instagram is at Saibnur um, or Saibnur Gar on Facebook. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then my email is um, S-A-A-H-I-B-Gar at a Gmail. Um, and we'll put those links um, in the comments. Yeah, absolutely. The and I'm, I'm very happy to answer questions about 
yeah. you know, pre-med stuff, um, whatever else. I, I love mentoring people um, yeah. in medicine. So that's that's one of my passions. So, so thank you so much, uh, Sadhanurkur, for being on this podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time here at the Social City Experience. Yeah, no problem. Um, and for everyone listening, stay tuned for next week as next week is episode four. So stay tuned for that. Um, thank you, everyone.